Hi, it's Ariana. Hi, it's Greg. As a listener to Climate One, we know you care about how climate disruption is affecting all of us now and into the future. I'm guessing you already do several things in the spirit of climate action. Here's another one: giving a donation to us to continue bringing you shows about the causes and solutions to the climate crisis. You can do that at climateone.org/donate. We offer all our podcasts and radio shows for free, but it takes time, effort, and resources to produce new episodes every week. When you give, you help us pay for the talented staff, equipment, and materials we need to make the show. And you'll join a group of other dedicated funders and community supporters who keep Climate One on the air. If you're inspired by the guests and conversations we curate, please consider making a gift today at climateone.org/donate. Thank you for your support and thanks for listening. How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton. Most major automakers are now selling or leasing cars that run on electricity all or part of the time. Electrified and hybrid vehicles account for about three to four percent of new U.S. car sales, a figure that goes up and down with gasoline prices. Today, we'll talk with owners of the new plug-in cars about their lives as early adopters. We'll discuss their new wheels, how they deal with range anxiety, and what's it like living in the transportation frontier. We'll also get into the complicated world of charging electric vehicles at home and public locations such as garages, offices, and corporate uh, and all retail centers. Along the way, we'll include questions from our live audience here at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco. Our guests are three EV owners who have deep knowledge about the transition from petroleum to electricity to power our personal mobility. John Kalb is founder of EV Charging Pros, a consultancy, and an owner of a BMW Active E. Andrea Kisek is senior science editor at KQED and the proud owner of a Nissan Leaf. Felix Kramer is founder of CalCars and is soon to be launched a website, drivingelectric.org, and owner of a Chevy Volt and a Nissan Leaf. Please welcome them to Climate One. Um, before we begin, I should mention that we approached uh, different auto companies and asked for owners of Teslas and Toyotas, et cetera, and it just so happened uh, that we ended up with a, a, a bounty of uh, Leaf owners up here. But we did, I want you to know, we did try to reach out to uh, other auto companies, and there just are not as many of those, uh, at least apparently available to us in the Bay Area. Andrea, let's begin with you. Tell us how you came to buy an electric car. Well, um, my Honda was getting pretty old, and I needed to buy a new car. And um, I just, in, it was two years ago, I guess now, that I started thinking about it. And I just couldn't stomach the idea of getting an all-gasoline car in 2010. It just seemed wrong. So I uh, started looking at, uh, and the hybrids just, the Prius wasn't a really a satisfying drive for me, um, which sounds funny for me to even hear myself say the fact that I'm on a panel talking about cars at all is hysterical because... I just could have cared less about cars for um, my entire life. So here I am, except to use them for things. So um, 
And uh, it also appealed to me, the all-electric drive. I got in one. I, I tried a few, actually, a Roadster as well, and I actually like, like the Leaf more, which I know you would find amazing. But that would be to, a, a Tesla Roadster? I did, and it's just, I don't think I was the demographic for it, but the Leaf was just smooth, fast. All of a sudden, cars were, like, you know, amazing. They could be silent, and wow. So... Um, I, I liked the drive a lot, and it appealed to me that I could get an HOV sticker and get over the bridge. I live in Oakland Hills into the city easier when I needed to. And um, so it was, the, you know, it was the environmental thing, but it was also that the, the, the car was fun to drive. Yeah. John, you are very much of a driving enthusiast. Tell us how you got into an electric car. Well, I've been uh, a BMW driver for many years and really appreciate the performance aspect of their cars. And uh, I got involved in the electric vehicle industry about two or three years ago before uh, BMW actually announced that they were having a car. And I test drove a lot of the other vehicles, models that were out there, but wasn't very satisfied with uh, comparing it against my BMW driving experience. So when I learned that BMW was going to have a program, I um, stayed on top of the what they're now calling the Electronaut program and um, was fortunate enough to become one of 700 people who have this car in the United States right now. And so this car is only available to a select few, and it's only leased, right? It's a, it's a lease-only vehicle for two years. I have to turn it back in in 20, the early spring of 2014, and they're going to use that as a, they're using this, us as a test bed, if you will, to understand drivers' experiences as they continue to build their electric platform. And are they going to take them out in the desert and crush them like General Motors? <laughs> no, <I'm> not. <laughs> Can I be there to see that? Yeah, no, there's not going to be a movie. Okay, and just for the record, you wouldn't be caught dead in a Nissan Leaf, right? Uh, I prefer the BMW driving experience. I like to think it's the ultimate electric driving experience. Felix Kramer, you're a twofer. Tell us about your uh, both of your uh, plug-in yeah. cars. Well, actually, my story started as an advocate in 2006 when I got a plug-in Prius uh, conversion. And the first thing I did was I wanted to find out how inconvenient it was to have this car. So I tested by going into my garage and plugging it in and driving and then coming home and, and unplugging it. And, uh, and it added nine seconds either side to my, to my day, my trouble. So it really was not much of an inconvenience at all. And that, I, I've been an advocate for all this time, and my dream came true when the Chevy Volt came to market in 2009. We got one of the first ones. Uh, and it's number nine? Or number nine, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Ron Gremban, the co-founder of CalCars, got uh, an early one also. And we drove up to Novato and picked them up, and, and we were in heaven because these cars were finally on the road. And then a month and a half later, we got a leaf because we needed two cars. So we uh, we have a plug-in hybrid, which we I actually many people with the with, with the with the, the Volt are getting 150 200 mile uh, average uh, uh, you know cumulative miles per gallon. We're much lower than that because this is a car that we drive around in, in the neighborhood all the time, but we can take it up to Tahoe anytime we want. And so it's a, it was the first. A commercial, commercial mass-produced plug-in car to be able to twirl around in Tahoe and get back and forth to the Bay Area. And then uh, for everyday driving, we got the Leaf because that's the first car out of the driveway every day because it's a little more efficient. It's got a longer range. So we use the Leaf all the time. When we're both driving, we use the, the Leaf and the Volt. Uh, or when we're going for a long trip, we have the Volt. Which one's more fun to drive? Well, they're each fun in different ways. The Leaf is kind of like a cult, a, a, a sleek down uh, vehicle. It's tremendously fun. All these cars, the zero to 30 miles per hour acceleration is phenomenal. 
because an electric vehicle has instant torque. Zero to 60 is, can be pretty good, but off the, the stoplight, you know, if you want to, you can just charge out there. Uh, the, the Volt is a more sophisticated car. Some people actually say they feel it's like uh, uh, a little bit like, feels like a BMW. It's a very high-tech. These are iPod, iPod or iPhone cars. They, they're super high-tech cars, but they also are just like real cars. And that's the most important thing about them. They just drive like any other car except better. Let's talk about living with, with EVs. And the, the Volt's a little bit different because it has that gasoline engine. You don't have to worry about running out of juice. But let's talk with Andrea and John about living with EVs and how you have to plan your day and, and like the change you've gone through knowing that there's that limited range. Andrea? Well, I drive by bars now instead of mileage. The, mm-hmm. the, they call it the guessometer, but the mileage thing doesn't really give you the best idea. And there's a series of bars on the leaf, I think 12 in total. So I can tell how long, you know, and it's a three-bar trip or a seven-bar trip, that kind of thing. But the, I, there's a lot of, if I go outside of my usual routine, which, um, you know, if I'm driving to work is, uh, um, it takes a lot of planning, you know, if I'm going to go uh, try and go to Marin or go to Stanford, um, because the rollout of the infrastructure, the electric charging infrastructure is, I think, fairly slow, and there's just not a lot of chargers out there, and it takes a while to charge even on a level two, which you might want to explain the, the different charging levels. But Level two is just a faster charge, 240. We can charge right, even right. in two or three hours versus eight hours. So there's the trickle charge, which is in a 120 unit, and um, the level two is a 220 uh, charge uh, like your dryer is. And then there's this level three, and I think there's only two of those in the in Northern California right now. And those will charge uh, a leaf in something like 25 minutes and the 2013 leaf in maybe 15 minutes. So that'll be a different experience. So I, I've run out. Well, I haven't run out. I've, I've gotten close, and I've showed up at stations where the charger wasn't working. Uh, drivers use a lot of different third-party apps to help us get around and know if the charging station's available, if it's online and working or not, um, and sometimes it's not, and then you have to go drive a little further to find another one. So, so John Kalb, you were a driving enthusiast. How has your life changed living uh in an EV, getting around in a uh, vehicle? I think the main thing has changed is I can't drive the EV as far as I would like sometimes, but that's not really range anxiety. I know the distances that I'm able to travel in my car. I live in northern Marin. It's very easy for me to travel uh, to San Francisco for this meeting and to return home and know I have more than enough energy uh, and I don't have to charge here. But when I start to get, uh, uh, you know, as a kind of a Silicon Valley guy, if I have a meeting in Palo Alto, um, that begins to get a little dicey. Or if I have to start in Oakland and then go to Walnut Creek and then come back to Novato, I always have to be clear that I have a place to charge. And uh, that's the main difference is just kind of being aware of where am I going to charge during my day. Have you ever run out of juice? I have not run out of juice yet. Have you come close? I have come within six miles. Felix? So one thing to know is that AAA now has trouble trucks, just like for regular cars. They'll give you 10 or 15 miles just to when you call them. Another thing is the apps. You can also find an entire network of people 
who say, my charging station on the outside of my house is available to all of you folks. Just come, and I've used those sorts of things. Very friendly uh, community. Uh, but you go up to some stranger's house and plug in, you're not worried about the dog or anything like that? You're well, go it, it, it's all the, noted, noted on, the, uh, on the app, the information saying, you know, open the side door or whatever it is. And people are really open to that. And so, you know, but, the, but beyond that, more fundamentally, the, the owners of the cars, of the first cars, are self-selecting. They're people who have, can do most of their charging at home. Because most, if you're charging at home, you're paying three cents a mile. Uh, and you can't come close to that with any other car. So, you know, most of the people, they're saying, they're saying uh, I, I, can, I want this car because right now, without any infrastructure, this car really works for me. And many other people have two cars. And for every family in America, uh, even though cars are marketed about, you know, you can drive this car to the, the Grand Canyon if you want, in fact, second cars are used locally. And so a 75-mile range LEAF is perfect as a second car for every family in the San Francisco Bay Area and places all over the country. But AAA, uh, from what I understand, they have two trucks in the greater Bay Area, in the whole greater Bay Area, that can actually handle that to yeah, do that, just that charge. So you're going to wait a while for that. But I do think that it doesn't behoove Nissan to have a bunch of stranded LEAFs on the side of the road. So, uh, you know, responding quickly would be a good idea. But you were also mentioning these third-party apps. Again, these crowdsourcing apps are kind of interesting because they allow people to uh, post their home, and um, and then when you go somewhere, if there's not a commercial charger available, there may be somebody in that membership whose home you can go use their charger. So We drove for the first time. I have a, a leaf. We drove to San Jose for a, a concert, and we had some people in the back seat who were joking about taking Xanax for range anxiety, and, and, and they posted it on Facebook, and immediately people on Facebook said, well, if you run out, go here, go there, and people are very supportive on Facebook, and there's actually these driver's groups on Facebook that my wife is really comforted to know that she posts something, and there's responses immediately, go here, do this, plug in that, turn this screw. It's quite phenomenal. It doesn't quite, yeah. quite exist with many other cars, but this community is, is very small but very avid and very knowledgeable. One other thing is that car sharing is taking off in a big way, and that's an, an adjunct to this. So if you have a car, if you're a one-car one family, you can always rent a car that can go further, or you can swap your car with somebody else, or you can go to uh, get around to relay rides or those kinds of places, and you can you can get uh, somebody else's car and switch. And we, uh, we, we've, you know... We've said to our neighbors, hey, we're going away, and we need a four-wheel drive vehicle. Uh, would you be willing to take my uh, quiet, smooth, free-to-drive car for the weekend and lend us your big gas-guzzling SUV? And we kind of get a lot of people saying we'd love to switch with you. But when, and then they have to charge. They need a home charging. They, need they use their 120 charger. So that's the, uh, that's the, uh, this, is, th- this is the charger. And this, people need to understand what they call it a charger. It's actually a cable set. So this side is 120, plugs into any 15-amp charger uh, outlet. And this is the J-plug. This is universal. Every car has this, and it, and it goes right in there. Except for the Teslas, but that's the standard yeah. one now. Right? And Tesla has an adapter for it. But uh, yeah, there may be some problems in the future, but as of now, there's universality in these, in these chargers. So basically, you know, when I lend the car to someone, this comes with the car. And, uh, and they can plug it in in their garage, and they can get plenty of, they can get about five miles in an hour of charging. So if they want 20, hour, 20 miles, they can get it in four hours. But that's, uh, they only need it if the char- car is completely depleted, which it probably isn't anyway. 
Let's uh, let's get a sense of the audience here, um, and I want to let Adam know we're doing this. Um, how many people own an electric vehicle in the audience? Uh, Nobody should be up here. Okay, so that's almost half. How many people are considering or thinking about an electric vehicle? So that's why you're here. If you're getting your money's worth, about it, it's about half and half. It's close to half and half. Either have them or uh, or or are considering them. Let's talk about costs, because this is really complicated. Everyone knows what a gallon of gasoline costs, but converting this into kilowatt hours, I don't even know what a kilowatt hour is, how much it costs, that's really complicated. Well, I think that's actually an interesting thing you ask about living with an EV and becoming aware of your actual energy usage and your interface with, uh, in our case, PG&E, has become a new thing for me. I didn't, a year ago, I didn't really get all of that, but now I'm well-versed in what it costs to drive the car, what the different tiers and rates from the utility company are, what the different options are, and it's been a, a very interesting and useful learning curve for my house and my family because now we're really aware of what our overall energy usage is, and it's kind of shifted how we think about overall energy usage we wouldn't have gone there if we didn't have the EV. So total dollars in your gasoline life and your new electric life, what's your transportation oh, bill? Uh, well, the example I use is that it costs me about a dollar thirty to get 100 miles on my active E charging overnight. And that same amount of gas in my other car costs, you know, 20 bucks. So the difference between a dollar thirty and 20 bucks, I'm coming out ahead. Andrea and Felix, have you calculated the cost for the before and after? I have, I have so not calculated. I didn't even know when I was driving a gas car what mileage I was getting. I just know it's less. Um, you know, I, um, I was maybe spending 50 or $60 a month on gas if I wasn't doing a lot of out-of-town trips. Uh, we have solar panels, and so we are giving back to the grid. And it's something to say, too, but it sounds like you all buy into this anyways, but that the grid, as, you're, uh, as you drive each year, your car gets cleaner as the grid gets cleaner, like in California where we have renewable goals by 2020 to have 33% uh, of our energy coming from uh, renewables. But anyway, so I don't know what it is. I just know that it was difficult to go through PG&E. There was no system set up because you've got your – time of day use, tears, all of that, so you have to figure that out. What I do know is that it's very cheap to charge in the middle of the night at home, and that's how most people charge. Yeah, like, so if you do the math, I mean, a kilowatt in mo- for most people is somewhere 8 to 12 cents a kilowatt hour, and you get about 3 or 4 miles on a kilowatt hour. So that's where you get the 2 to 4 cents a mile for driving electric. If you do the same math for a 25-mile-per-gallon car at $4 a gallon, then you're talking, you know, about eight, eight, let's see, 25, uh, I, I had Much that. more. Much so more. It's much yeah. cheaper. You know, it's, it's, it's eight to 50 cents a mile, depending well, on what kind of car you're driving. And, but there's other kinds of costs, too. There's the, the initial first cost, and that's the one that, that a lot of people are concerned about. Your, your operating costs are going to be way lower. Your initial first cost, uh, if you only look at that, the car is going to be more expensive than uh, than many other cars. They're not exactly comparable because they have many more bells and whistles. But your first costs are going to be higher. It helps that there's $7,500 federal tax credit, and some states like California have 2500 local tax credit as well. The, the underlying factor, and, and fleets mo- are mostly are the only ones who think about it, is total cost of ownership over the lifetime of the car. And even at today's current gasoline costs, let alone much higher in the future probably, you're going to be better off with your total operating costs. 
for the car. And just think about it. If you have your, your all-electric vehicle, uh, the only time you're going to take your car in to get serviced is to rotate the wheels because there's nothing else that needs servicing in that car. So you're going to save on that side. No fan belt, oil chains, all that stuff that, yeah, yeah, right. All gone. John Kalb, anything on that in terms of the, the cost? I mean, is it better to lease? You leased yours. Sounds right. like you purchased. I think, Felix, you bought one at least bought one. Bought one leased one, yeah. Is it better yeah. to lease? Uh, well, I don't know whether it's better to lease. I, that was the only thing that was available in this program. But I find the, uh, the lease amount to be um, comparable with... Uh, an equivalent BMW lease, so it's not like a, uh, there's not a premium for it, if you will. The cost that does get challenging is I decided to put a 240 system into my house and I had to upgrade some uh, electrical infrastructure in order to support that in the location I was trying to go to. And we are finding that um, a lot of drivers are really trying to figure out how to make that choice between just going with a level one charge for overnight or feeling like they'd be able, they'd like to be able to increase the speed from which they charge their car. Uh, you know, maybe it's the middle of the day and they've got to pick up their kids or, you know, there are various scenarios where one charge overnight may not actually cut the whole uh, story. So um, that can be a significant cost. For me, it was about $1,600, $800 for the charger, $800 for the electrician. We didn't have to do any upgrades, but that added to the, the high cost of right. the car. I was $2,200 to do the same thing. So I got it for free because I was eligible for uh, the EV project in the East Bay, and it's in various parts of the Bay Area. So that stimulus funds coming through the local air district. And is that still available to people? Yes, still yeah, available right now. So free chargers, if you join a project, I think the deal is you share some information so they can kind of study exactly. your patterns. Yeah. So you get some equipment, they get some information, and it's a good deal. We're talking about electric vehicles at Climate One. Our guests are John Kalb, founder of EV Charging Pros, Andrea Kissick, senior science editor at KQED, and Felix Kramer, founder of CalCars. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the clean electrons. Um, going into the car. Some of the auto companies are pairing with, with solar companies. Is that a key part of this? You know, Do you have to have solar? Or is that just a nice option to have solar on your roof? Uh, uh, we found that about half the people who buy plug-in cars within a year or two go solar at the same time. And they're not directly charging the car. They're in a grid-tied system, so they're getting a lot of electricity in the daytime when, when their rates are very high. They go to a time-of-use rate. And then at night, when it's cheaper, they're charging the car. But effectively, they are offsetting the price of, of, of the car, uh, of operating the car, with free, free energy. Uh, and that's a huge. And uh, because this is climate when, one, we're, we're talking about exactly what Andrea was saying, which is the, these cars get cleaner as the grid get cleaner. They're already better. Uh, even on an all-call state, a plug-in car is better than a gasoline car. But, uh, but in, in places where there's a substantial amount of renewables or, or a lot, even natural gas, they're, they're better off. So these cars are part of the, the, of a puzzle. They're a key element in a puzzle of getting the, uh, getting the world off fossil fuels. And another thing that's important to say, since we're all driving cars here, is reducing the miles traveled by mass transit or bicycling or walking or all the other kinds of things are even better than driving an electric car. John Kalb, you've looked at the recent state of charge report that looks at different states and regions. Let's talk nationally a little bit about uh, the 
cleanliness, relative cleanliness of electric vehicles in other parts of the country? Well, the uh, Union of Concerned Scientists report came out recently, and it basically stated, just as Andre was saying, the cleaner your fuel is, the cleaner you drive. And they rated a number of different, actually every state, on how clean their uh, energy infrastructure was. And, of course, California has a pretty significantly clean infrastructure now. There are states in the middle of the country that are basically caught in the coal cycle that are less uh, clean. And when you look at the tailpipe to uh, the actual use of all of the energy uh, in the car, in a state that's uh, heavily coal-dependent, it's not as necessarily uh as large a benefit as driving one of those cars here. But we're, we are all moving towards a new kind of energy infrastructure. And when you ask about solar, I believe that solar is the, the tipping point for electric vehicles. That when that we have a way to store solar energy, collect it during the day, and charge at night off of that in a completely off-grid environment, we will have millions of people all of a sudden go for electric vehicles because they will completely be able to see how they are off gas. And that's going to be a very significant undertaking. Well, let's talk about the sales so far, this protection in terms of the adoption of electric vehicles. Uh, Barron's recently wrote in the last couple of days, there's 20,000 electric vehicles sold uh, through July. 60% of those were the Chevy Volt. That was the dominant car, then the plug-in Prius, and then and then the Leaf. So 20,000 cars, there's, what, 15 or so, 12, uh, 14, 15 million cars sold in the United States every year. This is still very early days, very, very small part of the market, as much as we might see them around the street in San Francisco. It's still very early days. I think the huge trend, the transition is with the hybrid plug-ins, and that's what people are going to go for because they... The Volt is the number one seller because it's got a gasoline... Yeah, it wasn't getting great publicity early on, and I think that's partly just because it was new and people were, you know, as people are with new things. But um, I think that's the big thing. I think that's what people are going to go for, hybrid plug-ins over all electric until you have an infrastructure. Or you have a plug-in and have a second car, as my family does. And John, do you have a second car? I have two other cars. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Um, so, any other comments on the, yeah. on the adoption? Well, we, I mean, the really early adopters have mostly gotten their cars now. So the question is how we're going to get to the uh, uh, the early majority. The, 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 where are we going to get to them? And what what plug-in advocates are discovering is that the best people to make the case for a plug-in car are the drivers. And so what, this new project that we're doing, Driving Electric, is going to enable people anywhere in the country to put in their zip code and connect with an existing driver who will show them the car and g- maybe give them a test drive and so forth. Because when, on my experience, when people get in the car, uh, they suddenly, all their preconceptions go away. And the first thing that happens is they they shut the door and they hear this solid metal closing of the door. And the first thing they almost all say is, this is a real car. Yeah. And they don't really believe that until that moment. I, and then they drive around. a golf cart, right? Yeah. yeah. And then if they borrow it for a day, they realize, hey, this car would work for me. Uh, and so there's a process here. And the car makers are building great cars, but they need the help of this 
currently 40, 50,000 drivers who are the best advocates for these cars. They need their help to get these cars out into the marketplace. I think your, your website's a good idea, but I also I often say that the audience here at Climate One is just as important as what happens up here on stage. So some of you out there with EVs, those you can give test drives to the people sitting next to you who want to want to look at an EV. We might have some uh, some good things going uh, on in the audience. I'd like today. to say that that's really a true experience for me as well. I uh, am always giving people test drives, but I don't drive them. I let them drive my car. Yeah, cool. And uh, you know, I live out in West, in Marin and have easy access to the road to Point Reyes. And when you put somebody in an all-electric vehicle and say, go to Point Reyes and drive it like you see on the commercials, drive it fast, drive it hard, go around the curves, give it some speed, um, frequently it's uh, a mind-blowing experience to their drivers. I like to call my car a slot car on steroids because it really uh, handles incredibly well. It's very well balanced. The uh, batteries are uh, structured in the vehicle so that the extra weight, my car weighs um, significantly more than a normal BMW, but the engineers really thought about that in this particular environment, and it drives like a champ. And the experience, I call it the EV grin. It's really hard to let somebody else drive your car and they get out of it and they're smiling. They're like, wow, that was fun. And that's the enthusiasm factor that we're actually able to impart to other people. And I agree with you. That's yep. going to be and how we is, get it. In September, September 23rd is National Plug-in Day. And Plug-in America, Electric Auto Association, Sierra Club are co-sponsoring events all over the country to give people these kinds of uh, uh, experiences. I've also loaned people the car and, and seen that grin. And we should also mention that BMW has a new project here in San Francisco where people can rent these BMWs by the hour. Or by the minute. Or by, Oh, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, and that's a new program, where, which I think none of the other auto companies are doing, where you can actually go by the hour. Uh, and because it's difficult to try to rent even plug-ins or hybrids at, at Avis or Hertz, et cetera, they you know they don't have many of them. At least that's when I when I check. But tell us a little bit about renting a BMW by the hour or minute here. Well, the the idea here is to get people to experience uh, all electric cars, and so they've set up a number of uh, locations around the city where you can drive a car, pick one up, and return it. And it's a car share, zip car kind of you know sign up for a membership, credit card kind of thing. But um, you can take the car for as long as you want, and it's time-based. So if you're out for 38 minutes to drive across the town, then you'll get charged for 38 minutes. It's it's that kind of program. And I think they're just having the active ease in the program today. So And no annual membership fee, right? Not so you can just do it once and give, give it one, one-time fling, and that's it. Okay. But, see, I think auto manufacturers would be smart to um, – reverse that as well so people who have bought the uh, electric car but you know need to get to Monterey for the weekend or whatever um, can go to the dealer and you know exchange their their car their leaf somebody else can try the leaf and you can get a you know a gas car that can get you down there since it's too difficult right now to to make that trip on all electric. One thing I should mention is the Ford Focus has a slightly longer range than the leaf and the Tesla Model S which is out now and is People are just saying it's the best car ever built. That has a, a choice of 160, uh, 240, or 300 mile range on that car. So at that point, all I mean, it's an expensive car, but it's a it's a it's a five adult and two pa- two adult uh, two kids car. And it's got a it's got a rear trunk and a frunk in the front because there's no engine, so it's got a front trunk too. It's a, it's a, it, and so these cars are the the range issue is is gone with that car. Right. 
Let's talk a little bit about people who live in multifamily buildings or renters. You know, if you got your own dedicated garage, that's one thing. But a big part of San Francisco and a lot of people in America don't have a dedicated parking space. Uh, John Kalb, you're in that business. What's available for them? Well, I think that uh, the charging infrastructure in multifamilies is the big problem that the industry is trying to really solve today. And there are a number of pilot programs. There's one in San Francisco. There's soon to be one, uh, I believe, in San Diego where um, the homeowners or the property owners will have a chance to install infrastructure. Uh, What we're finding in San Francisco is a lot of uh, buildings don't yet have cars. And they're using the uh, idea of an electric vehicle charging station in their property as an amenity, as a way to encourage tenants to come to their property and actually rent their buildings. Um, And for tenants who are in their buildings, an opportunity to actually stay, to be more green, to buy a leaf, to buy an EV, and be able to have a place to charge it. There are certainly some problems with homeowners associations and how they think about this and the liabilities. There's also a lot of issues that relate to uh, deeded parking and how the parking layouts are structured. None of those are really insurmountable as long as a homeowners association is willing to um, make some serious considerations about what's good for their tenants, what's good for their business, and, uh, and you know, take a, a risk to install those. General Electric makes a, a street-side charger, at least that I've seen for a year or so, but I haven't seen one actually deployed. Street-side charging, sort of, you know, in residential areas where there aren't large garages, is that happening? Will that happen? There, it is actually happening, but that's mostly uh, a municipal project as opposed to a private project. Most of the homeowners in private pro- are private property, so they don't have a chance to um, have the city install something on their curbs. There are some cities, uh, especially in uh, the North Carolina area, there's a very, that high tech focus down there. There are some projects that are driven by municipalities that are all about putting chargers on the street and creating uh, lessons learned and uh, use cases that would allow the rest of the country to understand what might be possible. Felix Kramer? Uh, I've met uh, some people who've done a surprising turnaround on this whole thing. They don't have any place to charge at home, and they charge only at work. And that solves the problem for them. And their worker provide their workplace provides free or low cost yeah. charging. These people who work at Electronic yeah. Arts or Google or something yeah. like that. And yeah. there, there, there are issues involved in that because uh, in, if they're providing a, uh, a benefit, there may be tax issues, and, and companies are dealing with those issues. Let's talk about the infrastructure that's out there now in the Bay Area and what will be there in say six or twelve months, or some big things coming down the pipe in terms of charging infrastructure in the Bay Area. So, Andrea Kissick? Well, I mean, uh, I first of all, I think that the infrastructure has rolled out. It, everybody knew it wasn't going to roll out quite as fast as as, um, as the charging companies, uh, PR folks were saying. But it's it's been quite slow, and there's also a lack of coordination. So you have this uh, Kulum that has ChargePoint and Ecotality, which has this Blink charger. NRG, the energy company, won a settlement, uh, or not won a settlement, in a settlement with California over long-term energy contracts. Uh, basically agreed to install hundreds of new chargers fast and level two around the state. And so that's going to be, you have cards that you swipe for each one of those. We finally just put one charger in the KQED garage, and that's a general electric that's going to take tokens. So you've got like all these cards and tokens and so forth. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens as, you know, how fast these chargers roll out, because I think that's really going to have to do with the adoption. Uh, and if we can get some more level three chargers out on the road at rest stops and in more convenient places. 
But you've said some interesting things about charge point and stuff, that some of the, the companies are are poised a little bit better than others. I don't know. I think think the the thing, there is a lot of competition in the network charging business today, and the business models in the the business are um, emerging. So everybody has a different idea about how they think in a six months or six-year period they're going to charge for this energy. Is it going to be free? Is it going to be by kilowatt hour? Is it going to be by a um, charging or parking session? Uh, will it be tied to your rent? Uh, and different companies are creating software which allows them to be flexible or in some cases inflexible to um, those kinds of user needs. I think we're also seeing a lot of uh, confusion at from the drivers themselves about what would really work for me. And, uh, you know, this is all part of the, as you were saying, Felix, the early industry adoption cycle. And I think some of these things will get worked out over the next year or two to kind of help take us into a more mainstream position. There's also some mistakes being made. And the, least, the, the last thing you want is to have a charging structure built and then no one using it. Especially in prime parking spaces where people drive by and see these spaces and never being taken, so it's it's it, the coordination levels are not very good, uh, and they they could go they could do it wrong, but yeah. uh, I kind of think this industry is stumbling to its way to success. I, I actually have a, a story about the Oakland airport where I needed to, I went for a business trip and I drove my car there and I had to charge. And there are chargers right at the front of the Oakland airport. And I drove in the daily parking and expected I could park there. But I found that I couldn't park there unless I went out and went back in in the premier parking area. And that was a $38 a day charge. Oh, but the juice is free. And the the juice was free. Right. The juice was free. The airport has installed its chargers in the short-term parking lot. And they should install 120s in the long term. Right. So there's... There's some things that need yeah. to be worked out. It was quite a surprise, and I think that's the other thing you ask about living with a with a EV, being a new driver, is that there are surprises out there, and um, the people I know are who are driving cars tend to be very flexible about this. We're not really um, stuck about oh, it's got to be a certain way. We understand we're participating in a really interesting experiment, and possibly our grandchildren will see us with our electric vehicles as pictures of Model Ts. You know, so it's kind of cool. Where does this go? Will there be consolidation? Will there eventually be some kind of one universal uh, card or there'll be some of these companies will go away? Is it truly to say this is kind of natural, messy birth of a new industry? Well, it's like a cell phone industry. You know, when you first started the cell phone industry, you were on one network and you couldn't roam. And I think that what we'll see is uh, roaming standards in between charging manufacturers in the near future, both in the United States and in Europe. Or ATMs. You could only use your ATM at one exactly. network. Now, there's for a fee, you can kind of right. use someone else's ATM, someone else's cell phone network. Mm-hmm. The other thing to mention is that there is now a, a charging network up and down I-5 from Canada all the way down uh, to uh, down through Washington and Oregon. And it will go through California within a year or two as well. And, and so Andrea that, knows of a guy who says he's going to drive his BMW to L.A. and back in 24 yeah, hours? Yeah, in 24 hours. He's going to get to L.A., stop at Canner's Deli, and turn around and come back. And he's figured the whole thing out to only take $10, I think. And that is a fee that he has to charge at an RV park for dumping because they don't have any fees for charging. And then he's found free chargers um, all along the way uh, through an app called Recar- Recargo, right? right? Yeah. So we'll see. He's going to call me halfway and let me know how he's doing. 
Andrea Kisick is senior science editor at KQED. We're also discussing electric vehicles with Felix Kramer, founder of CalCars, and John Kelb, founder of EV Charging Pros. I'm Greg Dalton. We're going to put our microphone out here and invite your participation uh, to come up and uh, present uh, one one part uh, question or comment, and we encourage you to keep it uh, keep it brief so we can get as many uh, participants as possible. Again, if you're on this side, we invite you to go out that door. Um, the lane uh, the line starts with our producer Jane Ann, who's over there. And uh, while we're doing that, I also want to thank uh, the fantastic crew we have here tonight, Jane Ann and Adam and Eva and Joe and Laura, who uh, they're greener than us. They usually ride their bicycles around. Some of them don't even own cars, but maybe EVs when they when they get them. Um, so let's have our uh, let's have our first audience question. Yes, welcome. Well, I'd like to add a, an important element to this discussion that uh, somehow got passed over. But um, I just my background is that I was driving a Prius for 11 years, 12 years, take that back, 12 years, and I was almost at the point where I was going to buy one of Felix's conversion kits and have a converted uh, hybrid. And that then the Leaf came along, and so that swayed me. I now own a Leaf. I sold the Prius. But you know what? All those 12 years, it really stuck in my throat that I had to buy petroleum products. You know, that that really got to me, especially when you read the headlines about what we did in Iraq, what we're going to do so in So now Iran. you got your EV and you're happy. Do you have a question I, for us? I sleep well at night because I'm not contributing to that. And I didn't contribute a nickel to the last quarterly report for British Petroleum, and there's obscene profits that they make. Thank you. And I think that's something that you guys should not feel good about. I sometimes wear a T-shirt that's called Petrocide, which is a picture of a gas tank, and the nozzle, instead of going into a car, is going at your head. And I believe that fossil fuels are, are destroying the world. And so anything we can do to reduce fossil fuel use is the most important thing we can do in our lives. Let's have our next audience question. Welcome. Um, yes, uh, I'm glad there was a discussion about sort of the mix in the grid. And um, there's someone uh, with uh, BMW. Um, BMW is now currently pairing um, some of his vehicles with what are known as renewable energy certificates, or basically a way in the market to track renewable energy. And you have solar on your house as well. From the consumer side of things, have you found that the companies have approached you at all with that, um, looking at charging your car with 100% renewables or just, you know, deal with what you have in the grid? And as a consumer, would you like to see something like that in the future? I'll mention briefly that Ford has a partnership with SunPower, similarly trying to pair solar electrons into their cars. Who would like to answer that? Well, I have been approached by BMW to uh, purchase carbon credits through their program. Um, I have not yet chosen to do so. Uh, and I do think long-term that the vehicle-to-grid interface um, will become much more significant. And when that does happen, a player that we really haven't talked a lot about will get, enter the market, and that is the utilities, uh, that they will, they will actually be much more interested in controlling the charging, controlling the charging sessions and setting uh, more baseline prices for those people who choose to participate with them because managing the grid is their business, and um, EVs definitely add a factor of X to that. 
Felix Kramer? Yeah, um, if you fast forward five, five or ten years from now, all the people who spend five or ten thousand dollars for backup diesel generators for their house in case of power outages, which are somewhat frequent in some parts of the country, including here, they will be able to power the lights in their kitchen uh, and their refrigerator with their car. That uh, the device that enables that to happen is now on sale by Nissan in in uh, uh, in. In Japan, uh, we did a renovation in our house and we rewired our house so we could do that and so that we will be able to, in a case of an outage, power the house by our rooftop photovoltaic system and uh, and, by the, and recharge the battery of the car uh, at that point. And then if it's a cloudy day, we can, with the vault, we can actually run the, uh, uh, run the car and power the house. Let's have our next audience question. Uh, thanks, Greg, for putting together such a great program. Very informative. I did get that EV smile because I test drove my wife and I a Fisker, um, which is their uh, high-end equivalent uh, competitor to a Tesla Roadster. It's a four-door. It's a four-seater car. Uh, so It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous, and it's got a lot of play down in Hollywood. But my question had to do with how we have a debate in our house about whether it co- it's cost-effective to do so. Our, and this is just our own experience. My marginal rate for my electricity is close to 40 cents a kilowatt hour because my house is very energy intensive. And uh, so I'm a tier four house as far as what PG&E charges me. And we don't have time of use pricing. I think Felix quoted eight, eight to 12 cents per kilowatt hour if you average it over my bill over all the hours. But at the margin, I pay close to 40 cents. So are you growing pot in the closet? No, no, I just have I have a, a hot tub and a swimming pool, okay, and I live right. in a hot climate, and I've got two air conditioners. Okay, but, okay. Okay. So my question then comes down to is, you know, obviously if I had time of use pricing, I could you know, reduce that. But Give me a feeling for do you go to the average rate to calculate or should I am I misthinking about this at my marginal rate because I'm going to be adding this amount of electric consumption on top of what I already for have. So your in your situation you could get a separate meter for your electric vehicle and you could charge it at a 5 to 10 cents a, a, a kilowatt hour just the electric vehicle but you're the kind of person who in looking at the whole big picture might decide to go solar. The other thing is that in terms of pricing we're constantly asked about paybacks and so forth. Mm-hmm. But no one, no one buys a car based on that kind of calculation. They buy it based on features and if it, ha- if it gives them what they want. It, it just happens you can do the calculation. But you never get someone to say, I'm buying a V8 and some, the friend says, buy a V6, there's a better payback on it. Or you never get someone saying, I'm putting stainless steel uh, uh, appliances in my kitchen, and someone says, there's no payback in that. Why are you doing that? People buy features in vehicles. But I think we need someone like Felix at uh, our local utility who can advise us on, you know, what's the best rate plan and and based on our driving and our energy use, and that's not happening. At the end of the year, PG&E will have that calculator for you based on your actual bill. It's, it is complicated because when you get the EV, if you have solar or not, you've got to choose a rate plan, the time of use. It, it's complicated. I got the, the, the price levels in my garage because I can never remember what they are, and we, it, they change summer and winter. And, and you it, can set a timer on the car so that it automatically charges at night. Right, right, which is about four cents a kilowatt hour, very cheap. Let's have our next audience question. Hi, this is for John. You have three cars. One's electric. Yes. So when you go out to drive a car daily... I'm curious, which one do you go to? I take my electric automatically. car. That's my, that is yeah, my automatically automatic is my go-to car. car. I don't drive my 330i anymore. 
except if I, you know, I'm going beyond the beyond the distance. And I have a question for the panel, if it's all right. Uh, I'm reading in, I think, the latest Sierra Club magazine where the charging stations you won't have to plug in anymore. That's coming technology that's coming along. Is that right? Wireless, wireless. wireless charging. Yeah. Yeah. You drive over a mat and it's mm-hmm. inductive charging. Yeah. There's a, a, a small loss, a power loss in doing that, uh, and it is a convenience, but you can't, it can't be the only thing you have because then if you want to charge at your friend's house, they don't have the mat. So there's a chicken and egg problem. But that's, try, that's I think, addressing a non-existent problem, which is the inconvenience of, putting the, of plugging in your car just like you plug in your cell phone. So that's a... It's sort of a, 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 a gadget that uh, a gimmick that doesn't really add any any features. It adds but some additional universality to. You know what's charging. interesting though? You say it's like a cell phone. Is that the company that's really promoting that is Qualcomm, which is a very large cell phone company. Right. So but there is some kind of connection. It's still pretty much in the research phase. It's Stanford, right. isn't it? It's a couple of years out. Yeah. Uh, let's have our next question. Yeah. Welcome to Climate One. Hi there, uh, Mike Harrigan with the City Car Share. Just wanted to point out that City Car Share is actively adding. Uh, electric vehicles and plug-in vehicles to its fleet. Currently, we have uh, 10 plug-in Priuses with, uh, that go about 40 miles electric, one volt. Two four zero? Volt. I thought the Prius was one four electric. Well, this is a converted Prius ah, using okay. a 10-kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery system. So you've upgraded them, okay. We've upgraded them. Uh, we have uh, two Leafs, a Mitsubishi iMead and a Chevy Volt, and we're about to add two Ford Focus electrics to the fleet with a goal of being at 30 electric vehicles in the 400-car fleet by the end of the year. And um, our experience so far with uh, members of uh, City Car Share has been really excellent. People love the cars. They love driving them. They, uh, they, we have not had any really issues at all with them, so we couldn't be more Are delighted. those cars cheaper for City Car Share to buy and operate, the total cost of ownership? or um, them that Well, way? I think that remains to be seen. We're, because we're a nonprofit, we can't directly take advantage of the uh, tax credit situation. So you pay full price, okay? Uh, well, we've been fortunate to find leasing companies that will give us a little bit of capital uh, reduction on the uh-huh. cars, so that's that's been helpful to us. Um, but uh, uh, I think there's mo- a lot of people here have said it. We're not doing this just because it's less expensive. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And City Car Share has a a goal of having a very green fleet, all, you know, all around. In fact, we have a goal of being 50 percent. Alternative fuel by 2015. So, so lots of ways to get your hands on an EV out there through BMW, City Car Share, others. If you'd like, and to we welcome them. BMW to the fold. Glad to see them here. <laughs> we're we're uh, talking about electric vehicles, and our guests are Andrea Kissick, senior science editor at KQED, Felix Kramer, founder of Cal Cars, and John Kalb, founder of. EV charging pros. Let's have our next audience question. I have two questions. One sort of a practical one I just don't quite grasp yet. I, I'm not a driver of it. If, if I'm getting a charge in San Jose and I want to drive another 50 miles and you have to stop and get that charge, how long does it take you to get that charge? Or if you have to drive 100 miles? Is that, I don't have a sense as to how long that is. If you're in, if you're and the second Jose. question is a broader question, which is, uh, I realize the focus here is on money, but the, the cost of these cars is pretty excessive compared to other potential cars, even the Prius. And do you have a sense of your, with your knowledge of the industry on whether or not the cost of these cars will be able to go down soon? So. Right now, if you're in San Jose, you can drive and stop in, you, you, and top off in Palo Alto, uh, 80% of the, char- of, of the charge of your leaf in, thir- in 30 minutes. And there are places like that that are coming, uh, coming along. So basically, uh, 120 volts, it's about five miles in an hour. 
240, it's about 10 to 15, depends on, on some other factors, and the fast charge is, is, is a half an hour. So uh, just to kind of give you a little bit more insight into what's happening with charging, not to get too technical here, but the car itself has a charger, and the car itself has a battery. And the charging infrastructure that you plug in is simply a flow of electrons. It's either fast or it's slow. And your car and the battery size actually determine how fast you can charge your car. So I can get my 100 miles in my BMW in four hours, four and a half hours, because I have a very fast charger, 7.1 kilowatt charger, inside the car. The Leafs have a 3.3 kilowatt charger, so they can't allow as much energy into their system as my car can. And so the the details of each car, that's a feature, just like we were talking earlier about the, you know, the difference between one engine type and another engine type, it really depends on how big is your battery, you know, uh, is it a small battery, like the Leafs or Volts tend to have smaller batteries, my car or the Teslas have bigger batteries. So the truth is, is that there is no specific one answer that you can say, oh, it takes this much time to charge a car because it's car dependent. Although the 2013 Leaf, they say they're trying to get the, the same size so it would charge in twice the time. On the, on the costs, basically, the, the, the Leaf after the, the ta- federal tax and state tax credits is about a $20,000 car, and that's a pretty good deal. And the leases... Uh, as John mentioned, you can lease plug-in cars for two to three hundred dollars a month. Some of them. Wait, wait, hang on. Payment. My leaf was thirty-two out the door. How are you getting to twenty? Um, How did you get down to thirty-two? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I thought I got a good deal. I'm a tough negotiator. <laughs> yeah. But you got thirty-two minus he's, ten. So he's no, no. It was forty-two minus 40 ten. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's forty-two. Is not good. Oh, you, I, you probably could have gotten it down to 37. I got hosed. Oh, all right. 2012? <laughs> no. Okay. 2011 was cheaper. I don't know what cheaper. you have that's... 2011. Yeah. Please don't tell me I got yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's have our next audience question. Hi. I just wanted to address something that maybe some prospective electric car owners are concerned about, and that's longevity. Um, I have a 2002 RAV4 EV. It has 106,000 miles on it. Everything in the drivetrain is original. Uh, the batteries were checked out in the fall of last year, and as for all intents and purposes, we can see that it's going to go another 50,000 50, miles at least. Um, so the fact that a car can actually last that long without having belts, spark plugs, tune-ups, oil changes is incredible to me, and that's one of the main reasons that I drive electric cars. So which gets to a question. People often raise questions about the battery life. I've had people on this stage here before saying, well, your battery's going to run out. That's going to be reflected in your resale value. Battery's only guaranteed for, what, nine, eight or nine years, 100,000 100, miles? miles. Yeah, That's a long time. Years, yeah. Okay. And, and, and basically, the experience with the Prius battery was that was a four or $5,000 battery when it came out. And then uh, a number of years later, it was around a two or $3,000 battery. And somebody who really needed it because they'd driven so much that was beyond the 150,000-mile warranty in California – they went to a local shop and they got a, a, a battery from a crash car, perfectly good battery, for $700. So there's a lot of different solutions. And long term, we think batteries are getting better maybe 15% a year and cheaper 15% a year. They're, they're, they're chemistry. They're not physics. So they're not 
getting cheaper like hard drives or right. memory. But 15% a year is a lot. And so 10 years from now, when the warranties are out, or eight years from now, the batteries are going to be a lot cheaper. And John Kelb, you think there's going to be some, uh, the industry's going to solve some problems here for use of those degraded batteries, that right. maybe 70% of what Well, it goes them. back to that solar question again, is that how do you actually store solar energy uh, during the day in your own environment? So there are a number of conversations going on in the charging and battery world, if you will, to say, can we pull out a battery when it's gone beyond its use of life to drive a car, and can we put it in a solar array and actually use it to store and serve battery charging? And I think that that's a very exciting future potential. There's also a number of um, companies that are involved in battery sharing. Better Place obviously comes to mind, where in a deal with a car manufacturer, they actually engineer a way for the battery to be easily removed in a charging station. Then they install a new battery, and the person goes away within, you know, five to seven minutes. But in that case, Better Place or Renault actually owns the battery, and the owner of the car does not is not paying for that battery. They're really leasing. That, that had a tough slog in the states. That's not going yeah. so well. A lot Israel, of places, they're doing a little better yeah. trying that out. Yeah. Right in Europe. Let's let's have our uh, next audience question. Welcome. I, a quick uh, comment, clarification on the financial side. Uh, the rebate issue, you see $10,000 uh, benefit up front from the 2,500 state to 7,500 federal. Uh, two things to be aware of. One, the 2,500 state rebate is subject to California financial problems in the future. And the 7,500 federal is a tax credit, which you only get if your bill adds up to that much. So and it's only a one time. If you, you, you only get to take advantage of it to the extent you get $7,500 a tax bill. And quickly, Felix Kramer, I think you said the Obama administration wants to make that 7500 cash on the hood like California. They're, they're, they're proposing t- raising it to 10000 and making it a rebate instead of a, sure. a, a credit. It's also subject to the alternative minimum tax, uh, you know, right now as a credit. So those are, are issues. But So we don't know what's going to happen. The, federal, the state credit is actually dependent on a revenue stream that's somewhat separate from the financial issues. Uh, but the legislature still has to. But work none of these right. things are guaranteed forever. They could go right. away. Sure. There, there's yeah, also so one interesting thing going on in California, okay. which is uh, the California legislature is looking at being able to allow auto dealers to finance chargers and the installation of those chargers in people's homes as a price, as a part of the price of the car. Now, whether that goes through the legislature or not remains to be seen. But they are trying to definitely make it easy to purchase cars. And your question? Well, yep. point on that charging issue, uh, it can easily cost two, $3,000 because you need an electrician, you need a, a building permit and all that to get the 220 charging station installed. Uh, there are aftermarket uh, adapter kits for about $250 that will allow you to plug into an electric dryer outlet. Right. So it's very, very cheap if you go that way. Thank you. Uh, let's have our next audience question here at Climate One. Yes. I loved your stories earlier about the social, the smartphone apps that allow you to, to learn from other drivers. Where's the nearest place that I can plug in? And is it working? Is it occupied? Things like that. It shows there's a, there's a really vibrant community. I'm wondering what kinds of forums there are, either social media or elsewhere, to share your enthusiasm and just your, your basic experience with non-EV drivers, much like what Climate One is doing tonight, a wonderful service. Is, is there an ongoing forum for this sort of there, thing? There are many. There's PluginCars.com and many others. The, in, the, in the Bay Area, there's SF Bay Leafs, 
which is a great energy energetic organization. The the new nonprofit effort we're doing, uh, drivingelectric.org, is intended to be a community of drivers as well. The best thing is when someone comes up to you on the street. This probably has happened to all of us, and they say, "Ooh, cool!" My wife says it's like having a cute dog. People yeah. want to come up and talk and tickle and and find out about it. That happens quite a bit. Uh, which is John Kelb? I'd also like to put in a plug for um, Charge Across Town, which is an event that's coming up in San Francisco, which is designed to help people see the cars. So at Justin Herman Plaza, we'll, there'll be you know 14 different models of cars. There'll be car ride chairs. There'll be an opportunity for the general public to learn. And I think that's really uh, where a lot of initiatives are going in terms of a, a, rather than a one-on-one kind of scenario, which we do when we pull into the shopping cart. Uh, shopping mart, but the public-private organizations are trying to go for larger events just to kind of raise the visibility. Thank you. Let's have our audience question. Yes, sir. Hi there. Thanks for uh, an informative forum. Uh, regarding the federal tax credit, um, my accountant uh, looked at how much I was paying taxes on and said, well, we can only take a portion of the 7500 this year and then We'll take the rest next year. So it, you're better it, off leasing if there's a question that way. Then the leaser takes the entire credit, and you get a lower lease price. I like buying. I don't like leasing. We're all learning here today. I learned that I overpaid. Thanks, Andrea. Okay. Um, all right. Let's look into the future. Is the the success of electric vehicles assured, Felix Kramer? Not by any means. There could be a big uh, uh, deal in Washington with, uh, which, uh, on, on taxes, which could kill the tax credit. And if that happens, I think that the, uh, uh, the future of the cars is, is uh, uh, very much in doubt at this point. They really need that, uh, that boost to, to get uh, traction in the marketplace. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, I think we've gotten by a lot of bad publicity, but the, there's still a tremendous amount of misinformation out there. And so the, the advocacy organizations and the automakers are doing their best. GM finally started a good ad campaign about people who, why they love their vaults uh, instead of just having kind of strange ads. Uh, they still don't show people in the cars driving them. Uh, so the, the, the marketing can be a lot better. But we can't guarantee it. We can't sit back and say this is going to happen automatically. Andrea Kissick, where is this going? Well, I think that the car companies could be doing more marketing. When the plug-in Prius came out, there was like a stealth campaign. I mean, it was under the radar. You heard nothing. And because Prius wanted the plug-in Prius to be part of the family of Priuses and not stick out as something unusual or weird or something. So uh, I think it's really going to come down to the incentives, too, because these cars are already expensive and take some of the least of the expensive ones and not have a a federal incentive. That's going to be a big deal because the state one's already been cut from five. To 2,500. And there's real reasons. Uh, Toyota is not that uh, keen on plug-ins because they think they own the hybrid space. And different auto companies right. have made different bets on battery electric technology. And some of them, Felix, GM has a lot more riding on the Chevy Volt. Ford's kind of holding back a little bit. Uh, some of the European companies don't really have much except for maybe BMW. Daimler doesn't have an electric car on the market, so there's the the auto companies have different bets on the table in terms yeah. of how far they how successful they really want yeah. EVs to be. But I, I just want to say one other thing, and, because we're at Climate One. If we ever have the kind of crisis 
in the fuel oil supply or a real awareness about how we, what we have to do in this world, at that point we'll look around and we'll say, well, what can we do? We can get cars off oil really quickly if we want to. We can get the cars off oil in 10 or 15 years, most of them, by building a lot of new electric vehicles, by converting a lot of vehicles, and by cleaning the grid at the same time. And that's something that is not in the cards at this point, but it might be, and I certainly hope it will be. John Kelp? I think that when you look at the evolution of the electric vehicle from a global perspective, it's inevitable that it will be successful. The two things that really are happening is almost every single auto manufacturer has made long-term, marathon-like plans to put out electric vehicles in one form or another as a part of their fleet. And when you talk to those auto industry executives, they say, don't talk to us about the sales numbers for today. We're interested in what's going to happen 10 years from now. That's how long it takes this thing to get hold in. We're all in. We're going to be doing that. And then the other thing that's interesting to me is the global perspective. We haven't talked at all today about the Chinese, Mm -hmm. but the Chinese are making significant inroads in preparing their uh, consumers for electric vehicles. The whole idea of electric scooters and motorcycles is something also we haven't talked about, but is a significant um, opportunity in emerging markets in the rest of the world. And I just cannot see that um, this is not going to be successful long term. I'm a definite enthusiast. We'll have to end it there. Our thanks to our participants today, John Kalb, founder of EV Charging Pros and an owner of a BMW Active E, Andrea Kissick, senior science editor at KQED, an owner of a Nissan Leaf, and Felix Kramer, founder of CalCars and owner of a Chevy Volt and Nissan Leaf. I'm Greg Dalton, owner of a Nissan Leaf. Thanks you all for coming to Climate One today.